seeking ways to call digital evidence when cracking encryption on a mobile device is not an option. And the Trump White House proposes a modest approach to strengthen government and critical infrastructure cybersecurity. These stories coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's report with a look at a new study titled The Effect of Encryption on Lawful Access to Communications and Data. The report comes from the Center for Strategic and International Studies. The think tank published the report just over a year after the highly publicized case in which Apple refused to help the FBI to gain access to the encrypted iPhone of the San Bernardino shooter who killed 14 and left 22 others seriously injured. The CSIS report contends the risk to public safety created by encryption has not reached the level that justifies Congress to enact restrictions or design requirements on manufacturers to allow law enforcement to gain access to the encrypted data. The study's authors say the inability to access encrypted evidence frustrates many in law enforcement, but it's a situation that can be managed. Alternatives to bypassing encryption exist to get the goods on the bad guys. These sources of digital evidence include advanced data analytics, unencrypted video, audio, and other types of data increasingly available with the expansion of the Internet of Things. Also, metadata is becoming more valuable as an investigative tool. As more devices connect to the Internet, the amount of data generated by individuals grow, offering greater opportunities to establish patterns of behavior. James Baker is general counsel of the FBI, and speaking at a CSIS forum earlier this week, he said limits exist on the evidence metadata can produce. Metadata gives us massive insight into what is going on, but it's not complete insight. We still lack information about the capabilities, activities, plans, intentions of our adversaries. So it doesn't give us as as much insight into what's happening, and it doesn't provide us with the kind of evidence that we sometimes need in order to bring a, uh, a criminal case, for example. Police also could resort to exploiting vulnerabilities in a device by placing malware on a suspect's device to gain access to a passcode. This is known as lawful hacking. But American University law professor Jennifer Daskal says lawful hacking could be an imperfect solution. Lawful hacking um, does raise a lot of unresolved issues that I don't think we've fully grappled with. There's questions about notice, notice to users, notice to providers in terms of, which is critical in terms of their ability to potentially patch vulnerabilities. There's the risk of introducing new vulnerabilities. And then there's a question about what is the threshold justification that is required in order to get a lawful hacking order. And here, in my view at least, um, it should be something akin to what's required under Title III, um, some sort of finding that it's the least intrusive and least restrictive alternative. Baker has other reservations about lawful hacking. Lawful hacking provides some relief but only some. It's slow, it's expensive, it's fragile. It's just not a solution to this, this problem. In terms, it's not a comprehensive solution, let me put it that way. We will you know, use it when necessary, when it's available, but uh, it's not a panacea. In the United States, the debate on encryption has focused on the narrow area of whether Congress should enact a law that would compel vendors to provide the means to access encrypted data on a criminal suspect's or terrorist mobile device. That seems what the new attorney general seeks. In written testimony during his confirmation process, Jeff Sessions said that national security and criminal investigators must be able to overcome encryption under lawful authority when necessary to the furtherance of national security and criminal investigation. 
But whether or not to pass a law compelling manufacturers to help police bypass encryption is just one small aspect of the situation. Jim Lewis is CSIS vice president and the lead author of the report. And the decision how best to address the encryption challenge isn't just up to lawmakers and the White House. Full disk encryption and the encryption apps you can download on your smartphone are really the crux of the problem. And this is where the challenge will be in the future. Full disk encryption and apps particularly apps for instant messaging, will create a challenge, right? And so what do we want to do about that? It means that uh, decisions in one case, full disk encryption, decisions by a few companies will have a profound effect. We have to recognize that the U.S. is not the only source of encryption in the world uh, anymore, Um, and that's something we need to think about. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The Trump administration is floating a revised draft of an executive order on how to govern cybersecurity for the federal government and the nation's mostly privately owned critical infrastructure. But instead of being disruptive like other executive orders signed by President Donald Trump, the draft of the cybersecurity executive order is modest in tone and builds on the work of the previous administration. Here's Paul Rosenzweig. He worked as a top policymaker at the Department of Homeland Security during George W. Bush's tenure. What is remarkable to me is that much of this quite literally could have been written by the Obama administration, which is to say it's a reasonably moderate incremental set of approaches that reflects a different way of thinking about cybersecurity than President Trump has evinced in some of his other executive orders, which have been more disruptive or transformative in their intent. The latest version of the draft executive order would take a government-wide approach to assessing cyber risk, treating the executive branch as a single entity rather than making risk assessments agency by agency. Rosenzweig likes that approach. It has made very little sense to me for a long time that different agencies uh, act to different standards and with different awareness. Given the interconnectedness of the federal portion of the network, that's just a long-term formula for disaster. And he says form should follow function. So long as the .gov network is as interconnected as it is, for all the good reasons that it is, the security of the network is pretty attributable to the weakest link. So you have to treat it as an entire enterprise. Several cybersecurity experts see the draft executive order as leaving many of its provisions up for interpretation. For instance, the latest version would hold cabinet secretaries and agency directors responsible for the security of their organization's information assets, as is the current law holding accountable heads of executive departments and agencies for managing the risk of their enterprise. That's clearly a good thing, but I don't know what it means. That's Herbert Lin. He's a senior cybersecurity research scholar at Stanford University who served on President Obama's Commission on Enhancing National Cybersecurity. Are you going to fire him, the agency head? How do you hold somebody accountable? Beat up on him and say, you must do X, right? But it's not like in the private sector where you can say, well, I'm going to hold your stock options at risk or something like that. If the only thing that you have is execution, then you have to only execute people for doing things that are worth executing. And not every breach, not every failure is worth executing somebody for. Another provision in the draft executive order would require federal agencies to adopt the NIST cybersecurity framework as a guide to secure their IT and mitigate information risk. 
Gabe Rotman is a deputy director at the Civil Liberties Advocacy Group, the Center for Democracy and Technology. And he suggests that provisions in the draft executive order, if implemented, could grant the White House Office of Management and Budget more cybersecurity authority over federal agencies than currently exists at the expense of the Department of Homeland Security. The agencies need to report to OMB on their implementation of the cybersecurity framework, including detailing the various risk management assessments that they've made. And then OMB needs to take that and submit a separate report. Depending on how that process works, it's possible that OMB, because it has the responsibility for submitting that report in consultation with DHS, could take a more prominent role in cybersecurity generally. In a lot of ways is sort of six of one, but in the sense that OMB is directly under the White House and DHS is a cabinet agency, you could see the risk of potential politicization there. The White House could issue the cybersecurity executive order any day, but it will be months before we know its impact on how the Trump administration will secure IT. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Thank you.